introduced you to Mrs. Duick, or the week before, and uh, we were having a little shindig at Mrs. Duick's place in the Hickville of New Bothwell, remember? It's not even a hamlet, it's probably just a ham, that's how small it is. So there we were in the middle of town, it has about two roads, about Main and the other one, Main 2, I'm not sure what it's called, but uh, close to Mrs. Duick's place, it was getting a little further on in the evening, and we don't have video games back then, and uh, didn't have cable, maybe three channels, one French, don't know French at all. So we had to hang out outside. So there we were thinking of what to do, and we came up with this harebrained, immature idea. There was finally, as we waited, a car finally came down Main Street. We had to wait a while sometimes. And uh, it was coming, the headlights were coming closer, and we figured it would be sharp and fun to jump out of this deep ditch onto the middle of Main Street and go, stop, stop, and then run back into the ditch. Not sure, still not sure why I was thinking that that would be cool and fun. But that's what we did. We jumped out. We said, stop, stop. And he ran back. Well, we had no idea that it would be Mr. Friesen. Oh, my goodness. The best of times, Mr. Friesen freaked me out. Well, he hit the brakes and he, oh, he jumped out. Kids, if you ever do that again, I'm going to give you a weapon you're never going to forget. Well, the rest of the evening, we knew what to do. Just sit there and do nothing was better than, no, you know, I don't know what was going on in my head. The immaturity, but let me tell you, he put the fear of God into me, that guy. Boy, I tell you, and he wore a belt and he'd use it. And there was another time you'd think that I'd learned from that, but um, fast forward to about 16 or 17, I had a motorbike. A few of us did in this little hick town. And we were out late one night. We finally came back and we gathered to what used to be, I think, a garage or something. It was a gravel parking lot. Um, We're just hanging out, the three of us, trying to be cool. Tough to be cool when nobody's watching. But nonetheless, we were cool in our own estimation. And uh, a car's coming. (laughs) A car's coming. Awesome. So we figure, okay, let's uh, let's stage a fight. Let's stage a fight. So there's three or four of us. And we're, okay, quick, quick. What's going on? Okay, Cliff, get down on the ground. Cliff got down on the ground, so he's this way, horizontal here, and I grab a huge two-by-four, and it's a really long two-by-four, and as she comes or he comes, I don't know who it is, and as they're coming, we kind of push him around, and then I come like this, and I just strike like I'm angry, and I smash it so down, uh, so hard down, but it's so long that it misses him, like it goes over him, but the end of it's hitting the gravel beyond him. So I'm just like, ah, you know, and we're going at it like that. And she hits the brakes too. I don't know what's with these prairie people. They get involved in care. I don't know what's going on. They stop and she goes, hey, you guys. Like, and it's just like, oh my goodness. And then we started laughing. Like, I can't tell you how funny it was until she got back in her car and we realized, oh my goodness, that's Mrs. Ebert. She's going home to tell John. And when he's had a couple drinks, he's an angry, mean fella. We hit the road and got out of there, right? And hope she didn't recognize us. Immaturity at its best. I'll stop there because I might lose my job if I keep going because there are more stories. But immaturity at its best. Uh, how about you? Is there ever something that you uh, wish or you're hoping nobody has seen or nobody has heard about you? 
Or are there a few things that you kind of, even now, you might have over here tucked away in a closet somewhere going, this is, ah, it's hopefully nobody, they'll never, ah, no, please don't ever find out about this. Because there's some things that aren't necessarily even all that horrible, but if we had at it, we'd probably go, yeah, that's pretty immature. That's probably not growing. Up. Well, anyway, I came across this, this saying back here. It says, growing old is mandatory, but growing up is optional. Isn't that true? Growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. Isn't it true that some of us go on and on and on in our, as we get older, but when we look back, we go, wow, I haven't grown up a bit. In fact, this morning I was meditating on this a bit, and I, I was kind of saying to myself, you know what? I should go for some more counseling, because when I go for counseling, then sometimes they can draw some stuff out that I've been having a really immature look at life. And I a third party sometimes just said, you know what, yeah, because mm. what's my goal? To get old? That's going to happen. Or is my goal to grow up? And what's more, what's God's goal in our life? To grow up. Do you really think he, if he cares for us deeply, just like you as a parent care deeply, do you want your kid to grow really big but still act like they're six? God wants us to grow so continuing on in what we have been looking at already, we've been looking at the book of Galatians. And in Galatians, we've seen how the law works. We've seen the Judaizers, these people that are very religious, coming to the people, to the church in Galatia and just saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, but you need other things too. And they would hold out a hoop and say, jump through this hoop. You got to jump through this hoop and, and uh, pay attention to the law or jump through this hoop because th this is kind of my um, I kind of like this. This is my hobby horse. So if you really want to be tight with the Lord, jump through this hoop or listen to the law or be circumcised. And we've seen all this, the Judaizers, making sure that you have Jesus plus. And we, at, with the Apostle Paul, are going, hold it. Jesus says he is enough. Jesus says he is enough. So today, with that in mind, we kind of want to look at the promise he gave Abraham and also, how does the law fit into that? And how does Jesus fit into this when it comes to our maturity? And what are things in our lives that might be holding us back? And what are some things that maybe we can implement today so that we can continue to grow up? So let's check this out in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 15. Dear brothers and sisters, so that's all of us, okay? Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. You can't change this. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is very important. Because here he is the father of many. Father Abraham, many sons had. Many sons had father Abraham. Remember that song? So, so here he has um, descendants beyond the stars in the heavens. And it could say, we're going to make this promise to you and all the chilling. But he says, we make this promise to you and your son. So that's very important. And here he interprets it for us. Rather, it's, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Jesus Christ. This is what I'm trying to say, Paul says. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses, God would be breaking his promise. So here in Genesis, almost at the beginning of Genesis, we see that God has made a promise 
to Abraham. But then most of us are more familiar with actually in Exodus, where it talks about a law that was given, the Ten Commandments. So here it's saying the agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. So God gave the law, God gave the promise, but some people were going, okay, he gave the law. Good, we can get rid of the promise. Not so. So we're hoping today that you will see God's knitting needle weave us all the way from way back in Genesis to the promise that he made so many years ago. And then, yep, there was the law. And then, yep, he goes back into the promise in some of the later parts, the latter parts of the Old Testament, and now when we meet Jesus Christ again in Galatians. So he's going back to the promise. Let's continue to read. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. You know, how many times do you see promise just on this little slide? In this portion of Scripture, I think it's used eight times. So if you see that, pay attention. Okay, he uses it at least eight times in this portion alone. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. Huh. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Well, why was the law given? We're going to see in a bit, but right here it nails one of it. It was given so that you look at it. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. So it was really given as a mirror. We know it was given for a few reasons, one of them even being it was kind of set up like guardrails. The law was given so that you kind of knew you were going in the right direction. So you look at the law and you look at your life and going, okay, I'm not doing that. Check. I am doing that. Ugh, not good. You know, and it's kind of one of those things that um, like a scorecard sheet, we can, okay, I think we're on the right track. But it's also, and very importantly, it's a mirror that we look at and go, oh, wow. Wait a second. That's the big purpose of the law. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. So pay attention there how many parties are involved. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. So we got people, we got God, and we got Moses, and we got witnesses, the angels. Okay? Next. Now, a mediator is helpful if there's more than one party. Um, uh, if more than one party must reach an agreement, but God, who is one, so you want, you want to underline that or highlight in that in your Bible. Anytime you see, but God, pay attention. We see that here. We see it in places like Jonah, but God. And when there's a but God, pay attention, okay? So, but God, who is one, what kind of English is that? But Steve Dirksen, who is one, right? We don't talk like that. But God, who is one, I love it. We see the knitting needle go way back to Genesis, because he says, let us create man in our image. We see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now we see only God and, and Abraham here, but we're going to see how little Abraham or Abram had to do with his promise. But God, who is one, very important, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. We're going to see in a little bit, but there's two major kinds of promises or covenants given. One, um, one of them looks toward a promise that actually you have to agree, and the other one looks to a promise where just one person. So it's very important to, to just take note of that. Let's continue on. If there is conflict then between God's law and God's promises, absolutely not. Is there? Absolutely not. 
This is one of the juicy pieces of scripture where just like in Romans chapter 6, he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? He says, God forbid. It's, it's like God forbid, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It depends which uh, translation you use. So here he's saying, is there conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. God forbid. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But, underline, the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. We receive it, this freedom. How many of you want freedom? Six of you, great. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Let's continue on. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard by the law. So it's interesting. There's actually a transliteration, which means they don't just grab another word and make it up. They actually grab it from Greek, and they kind of make it English. And it's called a pedagogue. So here, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under the guard or under a pedagogue or under a tutor. For me, that was Ms. Penner grade one scary grade one teacher she was just like fine and all that but she was the kind of lady that would pull up her hair in such a tight bun that her belly button would be at her throat okay and she was just like she would look and scan the audience and stuff and all of a sudden if i did something out of line she would walk up to me they didn't have oh i tell you uh, and she'd grab my arm right up here and she'd squeeze it until there was no blood it turned white it would fall off i'd have to get sewn back on you guys are lucky. We got laws against that now. But that's Miss Penner, and she was a pedagogue. She was a tutor. She, these children were in her charge, and she would do whatever, hell or high water, whatever comes, man. She was going to teach you, and you will learn. That's kind of the law. It's our tutor, but you got to think back even to this day when the parents, let's say me and Jody, were working away or we're doing whatever, we would hire or we would have somebody in our household that would be a tutor or a pedagogue and they're in charge of making sure my kids pay attention learn everything that i want them to learn and continue on with the values so like to be honest uh, a kid could still you know be told to sit down and the kid might be sitting down but inside they're standing up you know what i'm saying inside they're standing up. and this is what the law is likened unto is it has a purpose but it's kind of like this tutor or this ms penner that would get you to obey, but you didn't really want to obey. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. So there it's also showing that the law was good because it's the guardrails. It's kind of like when you're driving along and, and texting and you hit the guardrail so you don't go over the bridge. Just so you know, you hear it from the pulpit, don't text and drive, okay? But that's what I'm saying. Like if you're not paying attention, you hit the guardrail, you don't go over into the river. So it's there to guard you. And that's kind of what the law is also doing is we had the promise and then over to Moses, we had the law, we had the guardrails, making sure we know how to implement things and to keep us safe. But then it goes on to say, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. 
And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you all are children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Let's stop there. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. I'm sure you're drawn to, wait a minute, really? You're thinking about water baptism. That's not what that's talking about. You have been baptized into the body of Christ. So when you, have, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you lean in just like Abraham did, you lean into God through faith, you are baptized into the body of Christ. So that's not uh, uh, a symbol here of water baptism, but rather you're put into the body of Christ because of your faith in Christ. And he goes on to say it's like putting on, go back one, please. It's like putting on new clothes. And even that, this is so exciting because the Romans knew exactly what that meant. When you started to come of age, so when you started to become a man, you start, you, they actually had this kind of, you put on man's clothing. So you were a kid under Ms. Penner's tutelage, under the pedagogue, and then when you became a man or you became a woman, you actually, that's okay, I got this, and you put it on yourself. Isn't this great? So it's pointing toward the law as do this, don't do that, do this, do this, because we're immature. Well, now we look at the promise, and now we're not looking for it just like, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm standing up. We're actually now looking for inside motivation, intrinsic motivation. The other, the law, was just extrinsic motivation. I'll do it because I have to. I better do it because if my mom finds out. God wants us to mature. God's goal for each and every one of us is to mature. All of us will get old, guaranteed. But some of us can be 100 years old and still be immature. God wants us to mature. He wants us to put on the new clothes of Christ or the new clothes of maturity. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. That's exciting because it doesn't matter if you're a CEO and you're in the Forbes, Forbes magazine. It doesn't matter who you are. When you walk through these doors, you're just a guy. You're just a girl. We're one in Christ. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. And now that you belong to Christ, you are, <clears throat> you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you, White Rock Community Church. Love it. So that, you guys, shows a whole lot of stuff, a relationship between the promise given to Ab Abraham, the law given to Moses, and then now the promise that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of juicy stuff that we can see there right now. So one of the things I want us to point, uh, point out is that I think some of us are really stuck and almost dedicated to being immature. I mean, if you think of it, um, a lot of us, we might come to Christ, but we have these areas that we don't let Jesus touch with his lordship, with his ownership. We keep these secret places to ourselves. The good old boys. We go out still and do some partying and realize we'll clean up Sunday morning or we'll hang out with an old crowd that does not bring out the best in us. And we know it. Sometimes we have to make a change of friendships because our friends just can't get over it that we want to put on the new clothes of maturity. Who are you hanging out with? Or perhaps it's like the new way of looking at integrity. 
it seems as though uh, in this day and age, some young adults and, and, uh, and um, older teenagers would say, uh, this is who I am, so it's integrity, but they'll say, and get over it. So instead of being a man or woman of integrity and really growing in common values that we know are right and wrong, it's just like, this is who I am, get over it. So there's a real sense of pride there too. There's a real sense of pride there. And as we look at it, the law does not bring life. Going back to our old way of life, we all know it doesn't bring life. It's like Peter Pan, I never want to grow up. Or Toys R Us, I'm a Toys R Us kid and you just want to play with toys all day. But he's calling us to grow up. The law did or does not bring life. Wearsby says it only regulates life. It was a regulator. It was a guard. Told you what to do and what not to do. But in 3.22, which we just read, it says, but the scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. But the scriptures declare that we're all prisoners of sin. So we're all, all prisoners to our own way of life. We're all prisoners to the old ways of sin, to our own desires. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm going to throw out there that I think it's natural when we look at the law. I think it's natural for us to actually want to be told what to do in a way. Let me paint a picture. Religion is way easier than relationship. Religion is way easier than relationship. I mean, if you come here today and our chairman, who happens to be Harmon right now, declares that White Rock Community Church, you can be a part of our church if you do these three things. In fact, you can even go to heaven if you do just these three things. Well, praise the Lord. Uh, uh, uh. Awesome, I'm in. And then you got, quote unquote, freedom. We want to know and we would love to be told what to do or what that we have to do or don't do, and we're in with God. I think it's natural for us to kind of want to be told what to do because it's kind of the easy way out. We want people to tell us when we're in with God, but I think one of the reasons, and don't tell my wife this one, but I think one of the reasons we want this religious experience because if somebody tells us what to do and it doesn't work out for our life, then we can blame them. And why I say that is because sometimes we're at a crossroads in my marriage or whatever, and we're looking at something, and I'm just going, you know, honey, why didn't you make the decision? And then she makes the decision, and it goes all wrong. What's the matter with you? Why did you make that decision that way, right? Because I don't want to take the grown-up responsibility for messing something up. Huh? I mean, it would be great to blame my wife for everything. But you know what? In growing up, even in a marriage, you both are responsible for it. You both make decisions together. And if something goes wrong, hmm, it's not just his fault or her fault. It's probably your fault. Right? That's hard. That's, that's a statement that only belongs to the mature. It's easy and it's lovely to blame other people and other things. And I think there's something about the two mixed, our, our old life and the law, that we just love the law because it gives us a reason to rebel, right? I mean, if do this, don't do that, we all know that we try and do it behind the barn. Or like I said before, if Miss Penner tells you to sit down, inside you're standing up. She has no idea. 
right? We have this something about us, this innate desire to be rebellious. Hmm. So the law falls short as we bang against these guardrails and so often the law conjures up rebellion in our hearts. We think of even Jeremiah 17. For the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? We have this desire to either only serve ourselves or go by the law so that we can blame others or we know when we're in or we're not in. But this relationship thing, this promise thing that was given to Abraham, this promise thing that we see throughout Old Testament given now again or reminded to us again in uh, Galatians, that's way harder. The law does not make us sinners, but it reveals to us that we already are sinners. That's what the law does. It's a mirror. So that kind of paints the picture of somebody that wants to be immature, go in your old ways, do your old stuff, demand your own rights, or go religious so that you know which hoops to jump through or which Jesus plus is okay, but you want to follow some kind of law. And now we kind of get a picture of, wait a second here. God, really, if he wants us to mature, we got to turn the page here. So the law given to Moses actually does not negate the promise, but actually was set up just, for instance, to be a, a guardrail and a mirror for us. So the phrase put on Christ that you see in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, it refers to changing of garments, taking off our old dirty garments that we see in Isaiah and putting on the new dirty garments, taking off the garments of, um, <clears throat> of our old life and putting on the new garments that we have in Jesus Christ. But that also is sh showing the difference between our immaturity and maturity, that we used to be dressed, even in the, <clears throat> even in the Roman culture, it was they used to be dressed by this uh, person, this tutor, somebody taking care of the family kids, and now when you come of age, you dress yourselves. I got this. So it shows again that you're not told what to do. You want to do what is right. Again, reflecting the promise. Reflecting, turning toward Christ in obedience and faith and not looking just at the law. Somebody said that probably now when it says in uh, Galatians 3 verse 26 that we become uh, sons of God, it should almost say adult sons of God because it really is pointing toward mature sons and daughters of the Most High King. So let me explain a little bit because some of us are going, okay, we know about Moses' law because we, we've heard about that a ton. But what in the world is the Abrahamic covenant? Or what is this promise that Steve keeps yapping on about? Well, I'll just read it for you. It's found in Genesis 15. And this is the Lord's covenant with Abraham. Now, at first it calls him Abraham because that's his old life. And when, he, when the new life comes, when he's in covenant with God, he changes his name from Abraham to Abraham. It often happens in Bible times. So after this, in, verse, in chapter 15 of Genesis, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. Right there, I think that's funny. Like God comes to you, David. Do not be afraid. Well, of course you're going to be afraid. This is freaky. This is God showing up, but nonetheless. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, 
You have given me no children, no kids, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So he knows that there's really no blessing beyond this because it was so important for your, your um, estate, your inheritance, and your name to live on through your children. And here he had no kids, and he's getting old. Well, let's continue on. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look, take a look. Look up in the sky. Try and count the stars. Go ahead, try and do it, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So here he's an old man. He's not a 20-something that's ready to go. He's an old guy. And he limps outside and he looks up and God says, take a look, go ahead and count. And, you know, everybody knows you, don't, you can't. He says, that's going to be like your offspring. All of your descendants, you won't be able to count them. He's making this promise to Abraham. And what in the world does he do? In verse 6, Abraham believed. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was right with God because he believed. Not because he jumped through a hoop, not because he was circumcised, not because there was some kind of thing of the law. He believed God for his promise. This is awesome stuff. He said, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. Some of you are going, a heifer? Yeah, a heifer. A heifer's a cow. Okay? So he says, bring me a cow. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So he knows exactly what's going on. There's a covenant being made here. Okay? So this is exciting. Abraham is making a promise. Uh, sorry, God is making a promise to Abraham, and God's doing something about it. He's making that promise, and he's sealing it. In verse 10, Abraham brought all these things, and then this is gross for all you West Coast vegetarians. He took these animals and he cut them in half. And he put half the animal here and half the animal there. It's probably not a pretty sight, except for the birds. He left those alone. But nonetheless, so you have half a cow here and half a cow there. Nah, that's how the, that's how the covenants were made here. So he cut them in half, and as the sun was setting, Abraham fell in a deep sleep. That's, isn't that kind of funny? Here, God is making a promise to you, and you, I don't know. I can understand if you fall asleep when I'm talking, but if God's talking, you're probably, so I'm guessing God put him to sleep. So here, Abraham falls asleep. What's the point? Why show that in scripture? You want to know why? Because Abraham had nothing to do with the covenant. He had nothing to do with the promise. This was not um, a conditional covenant. This was an unconditional one. A conditional one means that we need two people. I make a covenant with Carrie and it's going to be signed by Monica. So there's witnesses and all that stuff. He does something for me. I do something for him. Abraham, he's falling asleep. He's sawing logs. So he can't even walk through. These, both of these people are going to walk through these cut animals. But who does? God. He says, God, who is what? What do we talk about? The bad English. God who is one. Let us create man in our image. So God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they walk through. Oh, I'm giving it away. I gotta be reading this here. I get too excited. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
When the sun had set and, 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 and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces of the animal. So listen to that. This is cool. Uh, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of, and the land of. Such big words that I didn't even include them because it would take me a while to pronounce them all. But he is making a promise and a covenant. And meanwhile, Abraham is sleeping. And he can't say, because how many of us try and deal with God? How many of us try and make a promise with God? God, if only you do this, I'll do this. God, if you heal this, I'll go to church every Sunday. God, you know, if you take care of my finances here, I'll always give you 10%, no matter what. And then he pulls it off, and how long do you remember your promise? Well, this, you guys, was all on God. God is one. He made an unconditional promise to Abraham and to his son. This is incredible stuff. Because when he used not sons, but son, who was Galatians? What was Paul saying? Who is the son? Jesus Christ. So way back in Genesis, we see the promise. In Exodus, we see the application of, okay, to try and keep you in line with the promise, here's a bunch of law. But then we keep seeing it weave and weave and weave through all the Jeremiah and on, also in the Galatians. He says, remember the promise? So he wasn't negating. He wasn't saying, ah, whatever about the law or uh, whatever about the promise. The promise is still being fulfilled. The promise that he made with a guy that's sleeping and couldn't even, well, yeah, but I, I promise God that if you do that, I'll do this. God as God the one walked through by himself an unconditional covenant. That points to maturity. When we want to mature in Christ, we lean into the promise. We're people of promise. We're not people of the law. We're people of promise. And in that, we saw in, uh, in the case of Genesis 15, but also in Galatians chapter 3, we are now sons and daughters, adult sons and adult daughters of the Most High King. We're given freedom. We're given authority. We're given new life. And if that doesn't make sense, let me give it to you again, and we just have to go through it quickly. But imagine the story of the prodigal son that you find in the, in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, you have an old man with some sons, and the young son is I'm so sick of working for all this stuff. He goes to his dad and pretty much says, I don't care if you're dead, but I want my inheritance. Because in those days, you only got your inheritance when the parent is gone, dead, right? So he's in essence saying, I don't care if you're dead. Give me me. Give me mine. Give me what's mine. So he takes his inheritance, and he takes off, and he blows it on booze, on drugs, on ladies, whatever, and he lives a huge party until it's absolutely gone. When it's gone, so are his friends. And he's starving. He comes back, and when he's far off, what has the dad been doing every day? Yes, he does his responsibilities, but what's the picture that we get? Who's looking out the window? Is this old man with a father's heart, and he just wants his son back in the family. And you know what? There are so many cultural things wrong with this. The town would have got involved to shame the son. Like there would have been big things happening. 
But the dad stopped all of it. And the dad with his cloak and his old man, it wouldn't have been a pretty sight. He lifts up his cloak and he runs. Even breaking tradition there. Running, old man, doesn't make any sense. He runs and embraces his son who smells like a pig pucky. Like he just really stinks. And he's, he's been through it all. And he embraces him and instantly put a robe on this boy. Put a robe of royalty on this boy. Put shoes on his feet. He ain't no slave. He's my son. Put my ring, my signet ring, my ring of authority on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. So they celebration. There's a big celebration. He now has this full authority as a son. He now has, he's not a slave anymore because slaves walked around barefoot. Here he was with shoes on his feet and he's just blown away. And this is what we're talking about. The promise here is that just like we were under the law and we're slaves to ourselves and the law, here the promise is still reminding us from Abrahamic times that, bam, here we're, we're called to be children, sons and daughters, mature sons and daughters of the Most High King. And it's not a tutor taking care of us anymore. It's God himself. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? God wants us to keep growing up in our faith. You want to know God's will for your life? He wants you to keep growing up. He wants you to keep growing up. So there's a few things that we're going to look at here. It's God's desire that we continue to grow up. So grow up in our faith. Do you really need Jesus to prove and show himself every day in order for you to be faithful? Do you really need God to show up every day and do something neat so that you can be faithful? That's immature. Okay? Can you trust his track record? Can you trust his track record? So your assignment this week is to go back to your prayer journal and to start looking at all the ways that God has blown you away by answering prayer, by bringing somebody into your life when you were lonely, by taking care of some finances, by all that stuff. And if you haven't kept a prayer journal, then your assignment this week is to sit down for an hour, grab a cup of coffee, and just start writing. See how God has been faithful to you. And that will continue to help you mature in your relationship with Christ. Grow up in your faith. Grow up in your marriage. Realize that my marriage is not all about me anymore. It's time to turn the page and realize that one day you get to present your husband or wife or your kids to Christ as a gift. You, ha you have no idea how many times in premarital counseling that somebody will just say and put their, put their flag tightly into the ground and saying, but this is, this is who I am. This is what I do. I do this. And it's just, they're just pretty much saying to their wife-to-be or their husband-to-be that this is me. Deal with it. And I'm just going, wait a second. Realize that it's not about me anymore. Do you realize that at some point, I like to picture it like this, that one day I'll be able to take Jody and my children and present them to Christ, pure and blameless to Christ. Isn't that a beautiful picture? So if you get to present your children or your wife or your husband as a gift to Christ, I think that might have a bearing on how you treat them now. Helping them reach their God-given potential in Jesus Christ. Grow up in your faith. Grow up in your marriage. Grow up in your desires. Are you still flirting with stuff that's holding you back from maturity? Are you holding on to some activities that you think it's my right? 
So is there stuff in your past life that you're still holding on to and you're, you're saying, I'm not going to let him go of this? There was a lady in my last church that she had come from the occult, so she was into worshiping Satan. She came to Christ, and then uh, she was having all sorts of emotional, spiritual, and health issues. Finally, after we did a bit more research, we realized she had this little thing that was full of all sorts of little trinkets from when she worshiped the devil. And it was full of garbage. And this stuff had power over her life. It had power over her life. Well, we took that stuff and some of it we threw in the fire and other of it she smashed up. She got rid of this garbage. And the same thing is with us. We got to get rid of the stuff of our old life. Some of it that we think is our right to hold on to, get rid of it. Is it helping you grow? Is it helping you get tighter with Christ? Is it helping you get tighter with your wife? Is it helping create good appetites for good things in your life? If not, get rid of it. Grow up in your responsibilities. Don't back away from adult responsibility and accountability while claiming to be thrilled with your adult privilege. Hmm. So often, so often with this is that we want all the adult privileges and all the adult, well, so we want all the adult privileges without any adult responsibility or accountability. You know of anybody like that? So often we want all the privileges, but no accountability and no responsibility. God wants us to grow up. So your action step this week, if that's you, if the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart saying, you know what, you need to grow up in some of your responsibilities, you might actually have to grab onto something this week or uh, make an appointment with somebody and just say, you know what, that was my fault and I'm really sorry. He wants us to grow up in our faith, to lean into him. He wants us to grow up in our marriage. Your marriage, this week make a date, uh, plan a date with your family or plan a date with your wife and make it all about them, not about us. He wants you to grow up in your desires. Your desires. He wants to change your appetite to good things, righteous things, just things. And he wants us to grow up in our responsibilities knowing that if you want the responsibility, that also comes with accountability. Oh, sorry, if you want the privileges, it also comes with responsibility and accountability. God wants us to grow up. At the end of the day, he's pretty much saying right here in the last part of this verse, he's saying, do you want the old life? Do you want the law? Do you want the things of the law? Or do you want me? Do you want a relationship with me? Well, let's grow. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today that the Word of God is uh, very exciting. There's stuff in the Word today that was just mind-blowing, and I pray that it does the same to our spirit, that we want to grow, we want to receive the growth that you have for us, and that we would walk in our relationship with you and uh, like I said before, submit to what you're showing us as we look in the, the uh, if, as we look in the mirror of, the, of Scripture or the mirror of how we're affecting our, our spouses or our kids, that, Lord, we would want to change and lean into you with faith. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're the fulfillment of the promise and that we still 
can lean into you like Abraham did by faith. And we're so, so thankful, Lord, that in this relationship, you don't give up on us. And it's a relationship uh, that you're the one that came and walked through and made the covenant with us. And Lord, we want to respond. In this relationship, we want to grow. Thank you, Lord, for this covenant. Thank you for this promise. Thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. And now I'm like a child and I do never ask to think of why we're free to love and live and die. And there's no need to justify the sin that's inside of me. It's lost all his control of me. Singing by threads of dust and bone